0: Hello, this is What Catholics Believe. This is not going to be a full formal discourse, but rather a, uh, an attempt to answer a couple of questions that have come up about one of the apologetics lessons. And that apologetics lesson was, was on the question of uh, being saved by faith alone. This, as you know, is a pillar of Protestant doctrine, it is a uh, foundational principle of Martin Luther's theology. Martin Luther claimed to get this principle from sacred scripture. He came, claimed to get it from the teachings of our Lord, from the teachings of St. Paul, and so on, in the New Testament. Uh, He said that, uh, rather, when we accept our Lord Jesus Christ as our personal saviors, as our personal savior, and that he has died for our sins, and we accept that, we embrace that, then at that moment we are saved. And uh, that that cannot we cannot be unsaved, uh, uh, in a sense. And even by what we do, even committing great crimes against the commandments of God, uh, will not unsave us. Why? Because, as he said, faith is the sum and substance of salvation. It is all that is required for salvation. Faith alone saves. Now, as I mentioned in a previous video... Um, Nowhere does sacred scripture ever claim that faith alone saves. Um, Romans says we are justified by faith. That's true. Luther added the word alone, but that was not in the original text of the New Testament, in the original text of St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans. Luther added that in order to try to foist his false doctrine on the people. How do you get away with this? <clears throat> well, the doctrine is pleasing. Uh, it's very marketable to say to people, all you have to do is believe that Christ died on the cross, you accept that, that he is your personal savior, then nothing you do after that can condemn you to hell. <clears throat> you are saved because all of your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future, they're all forgiven by that act of faith. Uh, that has a certain appeal to people who uh, would just as soon make an act of faith and then live as they pleased without any restraints and without the need to follow the commandments of Christ. But uh, even today, there are many Protestants who are not Protestants, in the sense that they, they take this principle that we are saved by faith alone, this Protestant principle, and they try to explain it away because they find that it's really unacceptable. They've seen the dichotomy of, between the idea of believing one thing and acting another way. They've, they've read the words of our Lord, even to his own disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? And so there are quite a number of Protestants today who, in fact, have rejected that principle, being saved by faith alone. But they haven't done so explicitly. In other words, they don't come out and deny it, they just explain it away. For example, you'll have Protestants who say, Well, if a person makes that act of faith that Christ is their personal Savior, and then they go back and they live in a very bad way and break God's commandment, well, what that shows is not that we're not saved by faith alone, What it shows is that, that these people never really had faith. That's how they explain it away and try to salvage the false principle of Martin Luther, that faith alone saves. <clears throat> the fact is that people can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they can believe that he died on the cross for their sins, and they can even have hope in him of being saved and they can still do some very sinful things <clears throat> even though they believe all of this <clears throat> I mean after all St. Paul wrote in his epistles that <clears throat> having preached to others he himself could in the end become a castaway that he himself could be lost now, of all people on the face of the earth how can somebody argue <clears throat> that some man like St. Paul never really had faith and here he's saying that After having preached the faith to others, he himself could become a castaway or a castoff. He could be lost, despite the fact that he manifestly had faith in Christ. He recognized that it's not just a matter of having faith. It's a matter of being faithful in how you live your life, that you live your life according to your faith. (coughs) That is your religion. Religion is simply putting into practice what you believe, the truths of your faith, if you have the faith and you don't put it into practice, you're a hypocrite. And you can still be lost, even though you believe that Christ is the Savior, the only Savior, the Son of God. <clears throat> you can still be lost. Now, there, there are those in the past who have raised the question, objection to be, uh, Father Jennings, aren't you making too much of this, this idea of the Judaizers? I mean, sure, There was a problem back in those days, and uh, we recognize that. St. Paul talks about it in the scriptures, in his epistles, about this opposition. But you're trying to make it sound as though uh, Martin Luther's huge mistake of coming to this false doctrine of being saved by faith alone, without the works of the law, that it all revolves around that, He's taking St. Paul's words out of context when St. Paul is engaged in, in verbal fisticuffs with the Judaizers, trying to prevent them from taking over Christianity. I, I find it hard to believe, some might say, that Martin Luther could have gotten that so wrong and that that is the explanation of, of how he got a wrong foundation for his doctrine of faith alone saving. Well, it is a fact that Martin Luther was uh, setting up an opposition between faith and works. In St. Paul's epistles, it is set up as faith as opposed to the works of the law. Now, there is no question from reading the epistles of St. Paul that when he talks about the works of the law, he's talking about the works of the Mosaic law of the Jews. That is what he's saying, that we cannot expect to be saved by the works of the old law. Not that he's saying we have to give up all law, we're free of all law, and we don't have to follow any law at all. This is manifestly not what St. Paul was saying. Martin Luther was saying that we're free from the law, all law, as long as we have faith. That's not what St. Paul was saying and that's not what our Lord was teaching, not at all. As I mentioned in the other video, St. Paul even talks about the law of faith. Now, there's still a law to follow, and that is the law of faith. If one does not want to uh, face the fact that this was the burning question in the Apostles' days that Martin Luther uh, entirely <clears throat> misread and took out of context as the foundation for his false doctrine, all you have to do is go to the Acts of the Apostles. Go to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, and there you find that this was so much the central question. This was the issue of that day in the apostles' lives, whether or not one had to follow the law of Moses to become a Christian, whether or not one had to accept the circumcision and uh, become Jewish before one could become Christian, this was the burning question of the day. It met the Apostles everywhere they went. I tell you to go to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, because you can see it there in black and white in the the words of St. Luke himself about what the Apostles had to do to address this question. I mentioned in the last program about this very subject, about St. Peter uh, baptizing the first pagans as pagans into the church 6 years after the, birth, the the death and resurrection of our lord and his ascension to heaven 6 years passed where no one was allowed to become a christian who had not become a jew first this was so controversial that st peter had done this that it was still a burning issue 10 years later and it was so controversial even then that the apostles were called back to Jerusalem. The apostles had gone on their missionary journeys, their apostolic journeys, throughout the empire, and yet they were all called back to Jerusalem to deal with this one question. Do Christians have to become, are, do pagans have to become Jews in order to become Christians? That was the question. The very first council of the Church was the Council of the Apostles in Jerusalem in the year 50 or 51 A.D. We're told that the first general council, ecumenical of the Council of the Catholic Church, took place in 325 A.D. It was the Council of Nicaea. And that's correct. But we have to understand, though, that the apostles had their first quote-unquote ecumenical council of the leadership of the Church, the brand-newly-founded Church of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the year 50, 51 AD, when they themselves returned from their missionary journeys, their apostolic journeys to Jerusalem, to address a question that was the most significant question facing Christians and the Church at that moment, and that is, <clears throat> was it necessary for gentiles to become jews in order to become christians if you don't if you really don't see that you really don't understand how grave that question was and how it framed the whole debate and how martin luther therefore took out of context the words of saint paul in contrasting salvation by faith as opposed to The idea of salvation by the law, which was the law, the idea of the Pharisees and the Jews, they were going to be saved by the law. That was their idea. And that's the law he's talking about. All you have to do, as I say, is open up Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, and I'll read it to you. And some coming down from Judea taught the brethren that except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had no small contest with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of the other side should go up to the apostles and priests to Jerusalem about this question. They therefore, being brought on their way by the church, passed through Phoenicia and Samaria relating the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and by the apostles and the ancients, declaring how great things God had done with them. But there arose some of the sect of the Pharisees that believed, saying, in other words, some of the sect of the Pharisees that believed, these are Pharisees who had become Christians, saying they must be circumcised and be commanded to observe the law of Moses. You see what the question is here, facing the apostles in their work of carrying the word of the gospel throughout the world. And the apostles and ancients assembled to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter, rising up, said to them, Men, brethren, you know, that in former days God made choice among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knoweth the hearts, gave testimony, giving unto them the Holy Ghost as well as to us. Now, therefore, why tempt you, God, to put a yoke upon the necks of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, why would you tempt God in putting a burden, he calls it a yoke upon the necks, of the disciples, that is, those among the pagans who want to become Christians, that we, Jews, and our ancestors were not able to bear. The law. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe to be saved in like manner as they also. So he says, as we are saved as Jews by the grace of Jesus Christ, they also are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. He makes no distinction between the salvation of themselves from the pagans who convert to the faith. And all the multitude held their peace. And they heard Barnabas and Paul telling what great signs and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they held their peace, James answered, James was the bishop of Jerusalem, James answering, Men, brethren, hear me, Simon, that's Peter, hath related how God first visited to take of the Gentiles a people to his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After these things I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And the ruins thereof I will rebuild, and I will set it up, that the residue of men may seek after the Lord and all nations upon whom my name is invoked, saith the Lord who doth these things. The key word here, by the way, are in all nations, because this was a reference to the Gentiles. <clears throat> that God's name, the name of the true God, would be invoked upon them. <clears throat> and it is God who did this. And so St. James continued, To the Lord was his own work known from the beginning of the world, for which cause I judge that they, who from among the Gentiles are converted to God, are not to be disquieted, but that we write unto them that they refrain themselves from the pollution of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him in the synagogues, where he is read every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and the the ancients, with the whole church, to choose men of their own company and to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was surnamed Barnabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren, writing by their hands, the apostles and ancients' brethren, to the brethren of the Gentiles that are at Antioch, and Syria, and Cilicia, greeting. This was their decision, that they were now writing to the Gentiles, who had been stirred up by the Pharisees, (coughs) who told them, you cannot be saved without being circumcised, and without being Jews following the law of Moses. So the Gentiles were all concerned about this. This was the decision of the apostles, in writing to them. (coughs) For as much as we have heard that some going out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, to whom we gave no commandment. In other words, whom we did not authorize to speak, and yet they presumed to speak, and to stir up trouble among you with their false doctrines. It hath seemed good to us, being assembled together, to choose out men and to send them unto you with our well-beloved Barnabas and Paul men that have given their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent them, therefore, Judas and Silas, remember Judas was the name for Barnabas, who themselves also will, by the word of mouth, tell you the same things. For it hath seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay no further burden upon you than these necessary things, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which things, keeping yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. <clears throat> and this was the judgment of the apostles to the Gentiles who had accepted the faith of Christ, been baptized, and been incorporated into the church. <clears throat> but they did not have to become <clears throat> Jews following the Mosaic law. What were they required to do? These few things they tell you <clears throat> to give up certain pagan practices. They had to give up their pagan practices, but they did not have to embrace the practice of the Jews and the practice of the law of Moses in order to become Christians. This was the first great council. It brought the apostles back together again to deal with that very question. Was it a pivotal question? It certainly was. It is impossible to overestimate how difficult it was. This is why these are the people that St. Paul was talking about when in 2 Corinthians... He was warning the people of Corinth that these people have come among you, stirred sort up of troubles among you, trying to tell you you can't be Christians without becoming Jews, trying to undo the work that we've done. And St. Paul says to them, listen to me. They say they're Hebrews. I am Hebrew. They say they're children of Abraham. I am offspring of Abraham. They say they're Israelites. I am Israelite. They say they're followers of Christ. There was when he said, I dare say more. I've suffered all these things. Please, listen to me. Don't listen to them. They're taking you the wrong way. And trying to say, you have to be Jews before you can be Christians. This is what St. Paul was writing about as an epistle. Counteracting the false doctrine of these very powerful but mistaken influences among the early Christian converts from Judaism that is why he's so forceful in saying you have to choose between faith and the works of the law that's that is the issue for st paul it was the issue for all the apostles at the council of jerusalem st paul was not saying we're fa- saying that we're saved by faith alone he was talking to those who were trying to revert to the old testament and drag the Gentiles back with them into the Old Testament. That's what is his fight. But you know what? You notice the expression of the apostles in writing to the Gentiles from Jerusalem, talking about those who had no authorization to speak on these things, no commission from the apostles to speak these things. And what they were doing was subverting the souls of the converts. Isn't that exactly what we have in these Protestant missionaries? They've received no mandate from Christ. They may have a degree from some theological seminary of their own making. But they cannot trace their mandate, their ministry, their priesthood, in the unbroken line back to our Lord who told his apostles... Going he therefore preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them <coughs> and instructing them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. <coughs> it is only in the real Catholic Church that we have that unbroken lineage of those who were sent by those who were sent by those who were sent by those who were sent, by those who were sent by, those who were sent by Christ. <coughs> it is not anyone who just stands up and proclaims himself a minister of Christ. <coughs> Out of the, out of the air, out of the clear and blue, <clears throat> there is a succession. And unless that succession can be traced back to our Lord Himself, who sent His apostles, and then who sent others, as you read in the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> then there is no, there is no mission. <clears throat> this is what the apostles warned about. These self-professed ministers of Christ who are going to tell everybody what the Gospels really meant, and in doing so, subverting the souls of men. The doctrine that we have to follow the old law to be saved is a subversive docu- a doctrine totally contrary to the Catholic faith, <clears throat> totally contrary to the Word of Christ. The doctrine that we are saved by faith alone is every bit as evil and perverted as the doctrine of the Judaizers, telling us that we're saved by following the works of the law, telling us that we're saved only by faith, regardless of the works of the law or any commandment, they are both equally wrong. The fact is, what Christ taught is what the Church taught, and what the Catholic Church teaches now, the true Catholic Church, and what the Catholic Church must always teach. Now there remain faith and hope and charity, These three, all are necessary to be saved. They must be found in the soul that is in the state of God's grace. The virtues of faith and hope and charity will be found in the state of those who are in the grace of God. And it is that sanctifying grace which will enable them to be saved if they persevere until the time they appear before our Lord Jesus Christ for judgment. You see, unlike Protestants, who claim to be able to say uh, that they are saved, that they are saved, they proclaim themselves saved, Catholics realize that we are not our own judges, even as St. Paul says. St. Paul says, but I judge not myself, he says. I judge not myself, for there, there is one who knows and there is one who judges, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Catholics realize the true teaching of our Lord is He who perseveres to the end will be saved, not just in believing, but in practicing his faith, in obeying Christ. will be saved, future. And when that moment comes, it will not be I who am proclaiming myself saved. I would never dare say such a thing, because there is one who has the right and the power to proclaim me saved. And that is the one who alone can say, come ye blessed of my father and take possession of the kingdom. <clears throat> Anyone else who dares claim he has the power to claim that for himself, is he's climbing over the wall of the sheepfold. He's a thief and a robber, as our Lord said. <clears throat> no, no, it is our Lord and him alone who is our judge, and he alone is the one who will say that we are saved. We dare not claim that for ourselves. It is he himself who has to say that for us. So, I ask you to please, uh, if you have the Catholic faith, realize you you have the truth. Don't be in any way uh, deceived by those who would subvert your souls. (coughs) Either telling you you have to follow the works of the the Mosaic law to be saved. And there are some Christians today who are saying that. (coughs) Or saying what Luther said, that you don't have to follow any law or obey any commandments to be saved as long as you have faith. They're both subversions of faith, the faith of Christ. May God bless you.